so thankful for our team of pastors here at Grace. Also, uh, you probably know this, but uh, I believe there are extra awards in heaven for pastor's wives. And uh, my wife, Lori, is, is just such a treasure in my life, and I'm so grateful for her. And seven years have gone by quickly, seven years, and I'll sincerely say that I wake up just about every day excited to serve Jesus with you and grow in our faith together. And our team of elders, uh, I could just continue to give thanks for the leadership here at Grace and that we get to do this together. One thing we're doing together today is faith and family games, Seattle Sounders after church. We're going to go hang out. We're going to spend the afternoon together, get to know each other better, and have a great time at the game. Also, tomorrow, uh, if you're here and you're thinking about grace in terms of either baptism or membership, you haven't yet been baptized, or you haven't said yes, and I want to make this my church home, I'm going to join you. I'm going to lead the two classes tomorrow. Pastor Mark's on vacation, and it's going to be baptism at 6 o'clock, membership at 7. All you have to do is text the word baptism or text the word membership and those classes will give you all the information. You can ask any questions you want. And we're thrilled because every month, more and more people are coming to know Jesus, getting baptized, coming into our church family, and just feeling at home right here. Uh, we also today, as we do this every month, the elders will be available as soon as I finish this message. The elders will be available for prayer. And this is a prayer for healing. It's anointing with oil. It comes with James chapter 5. We all need healing in our lives in different ways. And the elders, they're not our paid staff. They're volunteer leaders. And it comes right out of scripture that they serve, they pray, and that God moves in those prayers with oil and healing. And so that's what we bring to the Lord today is uh, we come as we are and say, God, we need your healing. You're our healer. And we are in a series right now, 2 Timothy. We love to go through scripture. We're just going verse by verse. 2 Timothy chapter 1, the theme is empowered. God empowers you. And you can also empower other people, like Paul is empowering Timothy. And as God empowers us, you know, sometimes we think of empowerment as just when I'm like, you know, excelling. But the truth is we go through seasons of disappointment. And we're going to talk about dealing with disappointment today. And how does God empower us during those seasons and times of intense disappointment? We're in 2 Timothy, so you brought a Bible, you can open it or find it on your phone. 2 Timothy chapter 1, let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you are good all the time. And God, sometimes what we're going through taints and distorts our vision of you. Jesus, we praise you today that we have our identity in you, acceptance in you, forgiveness in you. Your love makes all the difference. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit and the power that you give us. God, as we open up our hearts today and let you into some areas even that are disappointing and sometimes we don't want to let you in, we pray that you would bring healing and restoration, encouragement today. And uh, God, we trust all this to you. In Jesus' name, amen. How do you walk through disappointment with hope? How do you have both at the same time? Disappointment and hope. Disappointment is real. Have you sensed any lately? And maybe it's tied to family or friends. Maybe it's tied to your finances. It could be something small, like a project you've been working on just didn't go how you hoped. Or it could be something bigger. There's a prognosis from the doctor and you heard what you never wanted to hear. It could be in the areas of faith. It could even be in the church. It could be that you're wrestling with disappointment with God on some level today. 
we often experience disappointment. I'm not here to belittle or deny any disappointment. But I will declare that we have a hope that's greater than our challenges and greater than the disappointment that we face. And that hope is solid in Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about disappointment. And we're also going to talk about hope. Paul's going to start with disappointment. But really, we're going to focus on hope today. And as Paul is mentoring Timothy, notice his transparency. If you're mentoring someone, you don't just have to bring a posture that you have everything figured out and you have it all together because we all know you don't and I don't and none of us do. And so if you're mentoring someone, you can actually let them in to some of the areas where you're hurting. That's what Paul's going to do here. There's a transparency. There's an intimacy. Intimacy is you can see into me. And Paul is going to open up his life. Timothy can see exactly what's going on. And yes, you can mentor someone as you're going through disappointment. You can empower someone as you're going through disappointment. That's what Paul's doing here. And it's a reminder. There's often no healing until there's a revealing. If you try to keep everything concealed, you might not experience the same healing from God. But when you open it up and you let God in and there's a revealing, he already knows, you're not going to surprise him. But when you share it with God and you pour out your heart to God and you let some other people into it that you trust, there's a revealing, there's a healing that follows. That's what Paul's walking through. That's what we walk through as well. We're focusing on hope today, but we start with disappointment. Here's the first truth. The biggest disappointments include a combination of relationships, expectations, and results. And that word expectations is massive. Sometimes we sit on hidden and silent expectations. They can undermine a marriage because sometimes we hold on to them. Sometimes they're not realistic or they're not healthy. But we have expectations all the time in life. And that's often linked to our deepest disappointments. Now this is what Paul shares. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15. He's pouring out his heart and he says to Timothy, you know that Everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Paul says everyone. When you're listening to someone who's struggling with disappointment, they might bring some exaggeration. Okay? You don't need to jump in and correct uh, the second there's a little bit of embellishment here. What Paul's saying is that I'm feeling like everyone has deserted me. Many have deserted him. Many have fully deserted him. He's, he's pouring out his heart. And sometimes when people share with you, they're pouring out their heart. Instead of being in correct mode, you just need to hear and listen to what they're going through. And he's sharing his feelings. It models it for us. How many leaders do you know that will just share their feelings with transparency? Sometimes we want to hold all those back, especially in spiritual circles. We think we look extra spiritual if we don't have any struggles. Well, that's not coming from Jesus. That's not coming from the Apostle Paul. He says, everyone has deserted me. It's not literal. It's how he feels. And then that word deserted. Can you hear the pain? If someone tells you, my parents deserted me, my spouse deserted me, my friends have deserted me. That word deserted, there's pain there. There's loss there. And Paul is sharing a word revealing the pain he's going through. And then he names two people, Phygelus and Hermogenes. We really don't know too much about Phyg and Herm. I'm just going to give them nicknames right there. We, we don't know too much about this. We don't get the whole story. 
they could have been leaders. They could have been people that were close with Paul. They could have been people that Paul thought were going to be there in the tough times. You probably have a couple names, maybe not Fidge and Herm, but you've got a couple names in your mind of people that you thought would be right there with you during the trials, and they didn't show up. They didn't call. They didn't text. They just didn't seem to notice or care. It was unexpected. I thought they would be there. I thought they would be there for a longer amount of time, and they're gone, and I can't keep them here. Some people are going to hurt you intentionally. Some people are going to hurt you unintentionally. And sometimes you're not going to know. Either way, forgive them, Lord, right? Forgive them, Lord. It was the prayer from the cross. And sometimes it'll just be the situation that hurts. It's not that someone hurt you intentionally or unintentionally. It's simply situational pain and disappointment that you're going through. As Paul writes this, It's not the first imprisonment around 63 AD when he was kind of comfortable and had visitors and he was under house arrest. No, this is the second one, about 67, where he was treated like a criminal in a cold cell knowing that he was going to be beheaded shortly after he wrote this letter. There's no quick turnaround after this letter. He is near the point of his death and it's a situation that he really can't do anything about. And maybe you've had times, maybe Paul was struggling with this. God, I thought if I prayed a lot, I would live a long time. God, I thought if I served you, I would always be healthy. God, I thought if I spent time in your word and I was humble, God, I thought I'd always be surrounded by so many awesome friends who understand me and are faithful the whole time. God, if I do this, so you've got to be careful with the expectations you project on God if they're not in Scripture. If it's not a promise from God, you've got to be very, very careful. Because if I do that setup with God, God, I thought if I prayed before the game, I would get a shutout and we would win right? Uh, If you come to that, well, what's going to happen? God, I prayed sincerely before the game. They scored three goals and we lost. Like, where do I go with that? God, maybe you're not real. Maybe you're not good. Maybe you're not trustworthy. See, but it was a setup because I did an if-then with God that's not in Scripture, And that's such a danger for so many people because then life doesn't go how they want and they conclude God's not faithful, God's not good, you can't trust him, I'm stepping away from God. And there's such a danger in addition to that, sometimes we project. Someone hurts us, so we project it onto God. Well, then God's not good, right? Situation didn't work out how I wanted, didn't get the job even though I applied and prayed. Well, then God's not good. Sometimes we project our pain onto God. And then we make him out to be less than who he really is. And all this is part of disappointment, having those disappointed glasses on. And and I've got to say this, uh, think about Jesus. Because so often it's the expectation that I'm going to live a long life, I'm going to be healthy, I'm going to be treated so well by everybody. And then I think, well, who's our Savior? He was murdered in his 30s. He didn't live that long Most of us in this room would probably live longer than that already. He was mistreated constantly, injustice constantly. He was betrayed, denied by the people he was trusting in the most difficult times of his life. He didn't have a a lot of money. Now, he has, of course, everything. But at the same time, he's God and human. And in his human serving, 
he was often going looking for a home because even the sparrows have a nest, but the Son of God has no place to lay his head. So again, where do we get some of the expectations we get them so often from culture. And it's man's thoughts, man's ways. It's not coming from God. If you look at the 12, they were killed and martyred. It wasn't like Jesus said, we follow you. Will we have it cushy? Jesus, I'm following you because I just really want it comfortable. No, it was I'm going to follow and trust the Lord and I'm going to lay down and serve other people and build them up because at the end of my days, my greatest story isn't I lived in a great house that was super comfortable. It's that I blessed and empowered people. So sometimes with disappointment, we got to make some shifts and shift over to Jesus. It's good that Paul's working through this. It's good he says, I feel like everyone's deserted me. It's good he's talking about it. It's good he's sharing his heart. It's good he's staying connected with Timothy. There's some things you can't change. Paul's going to be beheaded. He's going to run his race. He's going to fight the fight. But then his life is going to be over shortly. So what do you do when you're going through disappointment? Here's the good news. We can still receive from God. There's things you can still do. God still empowers us. There's still some great options. There's often a better way than what we would just naturally do without God. God has a better way. So we're going to look at three difference makers today. And I want to say it's easy to neglect these three areas when you're disappointed. Sometimes when you're disappointed, it's just really easy to neglect what's life-giving, what's healing, what's restorative and transformative. And so let's focus in on these three things today. Look at verse 13. Paul writes, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The first thing you can do is grip the word. Grip the word of God. Grip the Bible, grip scripture, grip it. Because if you don't have the Bible, you're going to have a malnourished soul. If you have less of the Bible, it's much easier to wander and land somewhere in self-pity or resentment towards other people. If you don't have the Bible, sometimes you might be tempted towards self-harm as well. The Bible builds you up. The Bible protects you when you're disappointed. Despair will keep you from the word or the word will keep you from despair. It's been said sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will help you in times of temptation when you're looking right at sin. And the devil wants to keep you from scripture, but I'll tell you, scripture will help you resist the devil. It's that simple in so many areas of life. What does Paul emphasize here? He says sound teaching, sound doctrine, sound thinking, sound in the scripture, Sound in the foundation. The Bible is foundational and it's relational. Sound in the scripture will give you sound thinking, not man's ways and man's thoughts, but God's ways and God's thoughts. It'll renew your mind. It'll give you the victory between your ears. Paul was mentoring people from prison, empowering people. Titus and Timothy, they're called the pastoral letters. He wrote to Titus from his first imprisonment. And in Titus chapter one, verse nine, he says, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. 
I am so grateful that our church is over 70 years old and nothing has changed or wavered regarding Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is the word of God in the doctrine and the beliefs. It stays sound when it stays with scripture. Let's never dilute it, distort it, or delete it. We're trusting God's word. Eight times Paul writes to Timothy and Titus, eight times sound doctrine, sound teaching, a sound mind, sound thinking, solid in the foundation, because a disappointment will absolutely test your foundation to the core. And you're either going to be yes to God and his word, or you're going to be somewhere on sand. It's either rock or sand. It'll be one or the other. And with Jesus and the word, it'll be rock every time. He is the rock that is higher than I. And so as Paul wants to build up and protect, the word of God will build you up. The word of God will protect you. Spend time in the word, not just for you, but pass it along. Receive it and pass it along. As you receive it, you're nourished and strengthened. Your soul has food, and then you pass it along to other people. Paul is going to continually pass it along. Timothy, pass it along. Anyone that's around Paul, he's going to say, here it is, pass it along. If you heard anything different in your times in church, then here it is, receive it, eat it, meditate on it. Not just that you're in the word, but the word is in you. Receive it and pass it along. Don't let it just get stuck and hoard it for yourself. Pass it to your kids. Pass it to your coworkers. Pass it to your friends. Pass it to your life group. What is God teaching you in the scripture? Pass it along. Let it come in you and flow through you. And as that happens, it's all going to be with the help of the Holy Spirit. I love that phrase right there, with the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is indwelling. God himself dwells in you if you put your trust in Jesus. When you put your trust in Jesus for the first time, the Holy Spirit dwells in you for all of your days. A seal, indwelling, also illuminating. When you read scripture, it's not just your brain and what school you went to and how smart you are. No, the Holy Spirit reveals, illuminates, teaches, guides us into all truth. This isn't just, I'm gonna understand everything. This is God Here's your word, Holy Spirit, help me see. Help me know, what does this mean? How do I apply it? This is what it says in John 16, 13. Jesus was preparing the people because he was going to ascend into heaven. Crucified, resurrection, ascension. And then John 16, 13, but when he, notice it doesn't say, but when it. Don't ever call the Holy Spirit it. It is really helping me. No, it isn't doing anything. I'm not an it, you're not an it. Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, not an it. Never an it. But when he, the spirit of truth, that's his name, truth. That's his name. He's always aligned with truth, always brings truth. Nothing false from the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will guide you. We all need guidance. Some of you say, whoa, whoa, you know, I've been in church for decades. I've heard thousands of sermons. I think I got it figured out. No, you need guidance. I, I need guidance. We need a good shepherd. We need guidance today. We need guidance from the Holy Spirit today. Fill me, empower me, guide me today. Guide me into all truths because there's so many stinking lies in our culture and half-truths and deception and chocolate-covered sin that you take a bite and then you realize that was sin. So just guide me into truth. 
He won't speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are always aligned, aligned with the Word, railroad tracks, the Holy Spirit, and the Scripture, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Do you just cherish his voice? Do you just listen so close? Do you appreciate the communication of the Holy Spirit? Or has pride blocked that? Are you in a rut and in some patterns where you're just not tuned in with the Holy Spirit? And I'll tell you, pride will block the closeness and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Pride will block it. You can be religious, proud, and not listening to the Holy Spirit. And if you don't listen to the Holy Spirit, it'll show up in your marriage, it'll show up in your friendships, It'll show up at work, but not really tuned in to the guidance and the scripture, not really tuned in. When you're disappointed, it's so easy to just tune out God. So you have to be intentional. You might feel like not picking up a Bible. You might feel like not interested in the Holy Spirit when you're disappointed. But do the opposite. You know, 11% of Americans read the Bible daily. Can I encourage you to be one of those 11%. Whether you listen to it, writing it down, memorize it, teaching, studying it, whatever it looks like, uh, just play it. On my phone, I got an app, I just hit play. Sometimes when I'm exhausted, and I get exhausted, I don't even wanna go over there and start reading. So I just hit play and let the word of God just wash over and renew my spirit. Uh, 11% are in the word daily, and I'm not saying that in the legalistic shame thing, like you're less of a Christian if you're here today and you don't read daily, like don't leave with that false guilt trip. Uh, But notice this, for those who read the Bible four times a week, this is from the Center of Biblical Engagement, this is what happens if you are in the word four times a week. Drunkenness goes down 57%. Sex outside of marriage or before marriage goes down 68%. Porn goes down 61%. When you spend time in the word, it's transformative. It's powerful. It's living and active. And you know it goes up when you spend four times a week in the word? Sharing your faith goes up 228%. Discipling other people goes up 231%. Memorizing, meditating on scripture goes up 407%. What does that tell us? This is a good book right here. There's a reason it's called the good book and it's powerful in your life. And so why have all this power and say, I'm not really interested. I kind of got it on my own today. Why do that? We need the word. We need the spirit. And when we're disappointed, we've got to be intentional. This is the playbook. There's not a Seattle Seahawk today that's not thinking about the playbook, right? If that's true on the football field, how much more in life? Here's the playbook. Here it is. Mark Deaver is a pastor who shares this story. It's about Moses Hall. Moses uh, was a slave originally from Africa, lived in Jamaica, an African Jamaican slave in the 1800s. And there were slave owners at that time, and he was a pastor as well. And there were slave owners at that time that were threatened by their faith, their prayer meetings, and really threatened by the love of God. And so because of that, 
they tried to eliminate the prayer meetings. And the slave owners would break up the prayer meetings, but the people continued to pray. Kind of like Daniel in the Bible. There were threats if you continue to pray, but we're gonna continue to pray. And as they gathered together to pray, there was one gathering where David, this is Moses' assistant, was leading the prayer meeting. And the slave owners showed up and they killed David. They cut off his head the same as the Apostle Paul in what he went through, they cut off David's head and then they put it, the head on a pole in the middle of the village to warn everyone, to say this is what happens when you pray. They dragged Moses over to the grisly object on a pole and they said, Moses, whose head is that? And he said, David, my assistant. Why did we kill him? Because of prayer. Moses, no more prayer meetings. Had to be similar to what David was feeling in the Bible. No more prayer meetings. And with the crowd watching in such a pregnant, tense moment, what did Moses do? He knelt down there next to the pole and he said, let us pray. Let us pray. And the Bible says, when those mistreat you, persecute you, insult you, it says, love them and pray for your enemies. Moses so gripped the word, then the disappointment of seeing his assistant's head cut off, displayed in front of the village and the crowd. In the middle of that moment, he was so full of the word in the disappointment. He got down, he said, let us pray. And he began to pray for the salvation of David's murderers. He began to pray like Jesus, praying for those who were killing him. Well, what does that tell us? That tells us, uh, I want a faith like that. I want a faith like that, that when the culture is getting more and more opposed to scripture, I want a faith that says, I'm going with God and his word, and I'm gonna trust him with the results. In times of deepest disappointment, you hold on to the word. Be intentional. The second thing you can do is guard your talents. And this was a time of transition for Timothy. It's a transition. He was with Paul so often, now he's on his own. You ever had someone you're with and then they're not there? Have you ever had a role where you were serving underneath someone, but now it's your time to lead? And it was a role and a platform that he hadn't had before. Ephesus is a major city. It was the capital of the province of Asia at that time. Paul's gonna be killed. Maybe you've had a time when your mentor was still around and now your mentor's not around anymore. There were a lot of shifts. There was a lot of transitions. What do you do in those times of transition? You hold on to what doesn't change. Jesus, God's word. Here's something else. God has deposited with you his word, the gospel. He's also given you gifts and talents. And I'll tell you, during the different seasons, those gifts are really important. Those talents are really important. There's gonna be different seasons in ministry. I've had seasons where it was incredible harvest and every week it felt like there were miracles in terms of life change, salvation, restoration, healing, like things we never saw coming. And it was, it was just a time where it was celebration. And, and I've had years of that. I've had years in ministry where it felt like hard ground 
in hard hearts, and people don't really want the word, and they don't really want Jesus. And what do you do in those? I've had seasons of heartbreak where there's been mistreatment and there's been terrible stuff to try to walk through in some of the sin that I wouldn't even, you know, it's, it's R or it's X and have seen that. Like, what do you do in those different seasons as you're walking through it? Continue to use your gifts. Continue to use your gifts. What are your gifts? I mean, I didn't have these before I came to know Christ, but then it was preaching, leading, and evangelism. It's just been the same, like, for decades. It's not that complicated. So what I know is that whatever's happening in the ministry setting, I need to keep preaching, leading, and doing evangelism because that's just how God's wired me, and those are the gifts. The gifts aren't just for you, although it's more fulfilling to use your gifts than to just be a passive spectator, but the gifts are to build up the others around you. And as you start to build up other people, God will help you start to overcome come some disappointment. So continue to serve. Continue to use your gifts when it's a challenging season. And there's the key phrase again, with the help of the Holy Spirit. With the help of the Holy Spirit, use your gifts. Know what your gifts are. Use your gifts. With your gifts, there's two traps. There's either pride, because you start to try to steal the glory from God, take credit, and are boastful. And the other trap is passive. Well, I don't think I have any gifts. I don't want to use my gifts. I don't think my gifts are important. I don't think my gifts are going to make a difference. I just want to be about me for a while. I'm just going to do me time for a decade or two. You know, it's like, what, for a decade or two, me time? Uh, And and so uh, there you go, right? You want to avoid those two traps. But God, in the middle of the challenges, he empowers us. Your gifts are not just for the season when everything's smooth. You don't say, you know, I'm gonna wait till everything's smooth and then I'm gonna think about using my gifts. No, your gifts and empowerment from God are in the middle of the challenges and his empowerment is in the middle of the disappointment. And in fact, you will be mistreated, but the pain can forge and fuel a deeper passion and purpose for the Lord. I wanna say it again. The pain you're going through can forge and fuel a new passion and purpose for the Lord. In the disappointment, what the devil means for evil, God can turn it around for good. Let's say it this way, and I see this in Paul's life. The more I'm mistreated, the more I'm gonna pray. The more I'm mistreated, the bolder I'm gonna be about Jesus. The more I'm mistreated, the more I'm gonna trust God in his word. The more I'm mistreated, the more I'm gonna forgive and love other people. The more I'm mistreated, the more I'm gonna use my gifts. The disappointment and mistreatment doesn't nullify the gifts God's given to you. It's just a reminder that this is a time to fan into flame and use the gifts that God has so graciously bestowed. And here's, I mean, we're living in so many inspiring examples from our church. I'm just going to name one. Maybe you know with Sri Lanka and that country. Okay, I've got a map here. If Sri Lanka is like, wait, where is that again? Is that, is that in India? Is that close to India? Yeah, it's right next to India. It's just off the coast. Easy to be forgotten. I mean, India, everyone say, oh, I know India. I know, I know India. And then you're like, Sri Lanka? You're like, uh, Sri who? What, where's that again? Is that a city in India? No, that's just off the coast, a country in Sri Lanka, and a country called Sri Lanka. And there again, another map. You can see the picture and where Sri Lanka is. The reason I'm highlighting this, a couple reasons. One is that we can pray for Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka is a country where there's about 1% of the people, Protestant uh, faith. Okay, that gives you a picture spiritually. 
Well, what else is happening in Sri Lanka? Maybe you've been watching the news. It's great to watch the news and then turn it into prayer. When you see something in the news, turn it into prayer. So what's been happening in Sri Lanka? Well, there's been an economic collapse. There's been a collapse in the government. There's a shortage of food. There's a shortage of fuel. There's a lot of things happening in Sri Lanka right now, and it's a very important time to pray for the country. Well, one of the people in our church, his name's David, David Chung, he just flew to Sri Lanka. Why? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't just close your ears or run away. Not all of us go to Sri Lanka. If your name's on it, go. But he's going to try to unite and encourage, to encourage some of the pastors and leaders to pray, to unite, that there's still hope in the middle of the disappointment, that God can do something great in the middle of this crisis. And so he's there right now, you know, and you say, was that easy to do? No, it's like a 12-hour flight, a 12-hour layover, another 12-hour flight. But he's gone there because there's an opportunity to use his gifts in Sri Lanka. And God is going to call you to different places and places of disappointment and places of crisis and chaos where he's calling you and your name's on it to go to that place and love people and bring the hope of Jesus and use your gifts for the Lord. And what you bring in in terms of five bread and two fish, watch what God can multiply. When you take a small step of faithfulness, listening to the Holy Spirit, watch what God will do as you trust him with the results. And you bring the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. That's why it says here, in faith, and love. You bring the faith, bring the love, bring your gifts, and you enter in. I've got to lead to the third point here. This is going forward with true friends. So grip the word, and then you're going to guard your talents, and the third, you're going to go forward with true friends. Paul writes this in verse 16. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Paul could have said, you know, no one cares, no one understands. My walls are going up. I'm taking no relationship risks. I'm not gonna receive from God. I'm not gonna receive from anyone else. He could have gone there, but instead, here comes Onesiphorus. Well, what is Onesiphorus doing? He's bringing refreshment. Be like Onesiphorus. Uh, even though his name's hard to say, uh, be like him. Be someone who brings refreshment, loyal, refreshment. Rome, he's there. Ephesus, he's there. He's consistent. He keeps serving. He wants to help. He's looking out. And not only him, but his whole family as well. There's someone who's reliable, a true friend, and you know what? Paul's going to celebrate that. He's going to celebrate it. You should celebrate those true friends. We're going to look at a few different Proverbs because the book of Proverbs Open up in the Bible if you want wisdom. It's drenched and saturated with wisdom. If you're thinking about relationships, go to the book of Proverbs. Look what God says. Here, we're going to run through a few. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Notice duplicity destroys. It destroys relationships. Now, on the flip side, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. You're going to go follow the same path as them. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What else does Proverbs say? We see Proverbs 19.22. What a person desires is unfailing love. That's what we want. Friendship, marriage, family. Better to be poor than a liar. 
And then it says in Proverbs 25, 13, like a snow-cooled drink at harvest time is a trustworthy messenger to the one who sends him. He refreshes the spirit of his master employer. Uh, then we see Proverbs 25, 19, like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. Well, what is this saying? Be very prayerful about your closest friends. If I said, who are your 12 closest right now? What names would you put down? Your 12 closest. Now, are all those 12 gonna be faithful friends? Well, even Jesus didn't have 12 that stayed faithful, right? So it probably tells you there's gonna be some disappointment. There's gonna be some people slander you, gossip. There's gonna be some people who let you down. There's gonna be some people that just shift into the secret duplicity. That's gonna happen but prayerfully, wisely choose your 12. So often in the Bible, it talks about in the Lord. What does that mean? When I think of friendships, find people who honor God. Find people who bring out the best in you. Find people who are all about serving and seeing transform lives and who are excited to glorify Jesus. And then when you get that shared passion and alignment and commitment, you lock arms, you do life together, you encourage each other, you spur one another on. That is so significant when you're disappointed. Because one of the most important in terms of healing, ways that God brings healing, is through positive relationships. It's through positive friendships. If you've been burned, the healing will often come through a positive friendship. So identify those people and invest in those relationships. That's what Jesus did, took all night to pray, identified those people, and then invested his life in those friendships. If you've been reading some gospel of isolation, you're reading the wrong gospel. If you're reading the gospel of self-sufficiency and in pride, you're reading the wrong gospel. If you're reading the gospel that you know you don't really need each other in the body of Christ, you're reading the wrong gospel. So identify those people, invest in those relationships. There might be some shifts today in this area. Some people in this room, you might have the wrong friends and business partners right now. You might need to make some shifts. Uh, for some people, in this room today, it's gonna be an action step of learning how to be a trustworthy friend, learning how to be unselfish, how to listen, how to care for people. For some people in this room, you have some friends, but the next step is gonna be to actually be intentional and develop a stronger community. You know what they say about long life? One of the key links to living a long life is strong relationships and friendships. Now, if you're drinking a protein shake in the morning, great. If that helps, great. You know, I hope you do live a long life. But you know what really matters in life are those close, strong friendships, the ones that Paul and Timothy have right here. And visually, I'll say this. If you imagine sin over here and the Savior over there, there's gonna be some people in your life that push you to go back to old ways, to sin, and, and it's intentional and unintentional, but there's gonna be some people who push you towards sin. That's who they are. That's what, they're, that's what they're all about. There's gonna be a second group of people that they push you in this way um, from trying to get to the Savior and go forward in your faith. They're holding you back. So they're not pushing you as aggressively as the first group, but they're there in your life. And you know what? You're really not gonna be on fire. You're really not gonna be going for it. They just, they hold you back. They're not pushing you, but, but they are holding you back. And then there's a third group 
They've got your back, and they won't let you go back into the sin. And they're making sure that you're going forward with Jesus. And that's the group right there that you need to make some shifts and say, this is what I'm all about. It might be in your life group. It might be a team you serve with here at church. It might be at your work. But be intentional about your relationships, especially during seasons of disappointment. I'm just trying to make it clear today. Uh, make it clear. Because when you're disappointed, you don't need confusion. Don't need confusion. And this might, for some people, say, oh, this is so simple. This is so basic. I think he just said the word. I've heard that before. I think he said my gifts. I've heard that before. I think he said friends. Who doesn't know about friends? But the question is, where are you at? And what steps are you taking? Which of those three stand out for you today? Is it the word? Is it your talents? Or is it your friends? But those are gifts God gives us. And will you let God lead you and guide you? I'm gonna invite the elders to come forward. And uh, just close your eyes for a second as they come forward. How is God leading you through the disappointment? With your eyes closed, just take a minute to reflect. How is God, how does the Holy Spirit want to lead you and guide you into restoration and comfort and healing, into closeness with the Father, into the right relationships and using your gifts Will you receive today healing and love and courage from God? Are you willing to receive today? Are you willing to receive? Because this prayer time right now is a time to receive from God. When we're disappointed, we receive and then we intentionally do. We abide and we respond. So we can open up our eyes now. Let's stand up together. The worship team's gonna come back. Father God, lead and guide this time of worship, this time of healing, this time of prayer, this time of encouragement. And we pray in your name, Lord, amen. This is what we're gonna do. The elders are available to pray. And all you need to do is come forward. If you wanna put your trust in Christ for the first time, come forward today. If you need prayers for healing, come forward today. And you just come forward and you say, this is what I need prayer for. This is what I need prayer for. I wanna say again, there's no shame in receiving prayer. Amen? Can we agree? There's no shame. In fact, it's a great thing. It honors God. This is a house of prayer for all nations. Let's go ahead and worship God.